Episode 195 of Gaming EBS coming to you Wednesday, June 13th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Good to have you on board. I do, Sean. What's up, Brett? Hey, wait. Hey, what's up, sleepy face? Yeah, I took a little nap. A little old man nap time there. Feeling old, better. Old man nap time. <laughs> ah, busy weekend. Go to the garage, do a lot of crap around the house. That sounds fantastic. I hadn't needed doing. Holy crap. <laughs> Very, very lots of stuff. Very lots of stuff. Anyway, anything new and exciting? New and exciting. Um, not that I can think of. All right, then. Well, I guess we might as well get right into announcements, eh? We shall. All right, so what the heck have we got here? We have uh, GameholeCon submissions still open, and EverCon submissions are open. Link in the show notes, obviously. Duh. Hello, people. Get on it. Just keep in mind, <laughs> just Brett keep... just woke up. So. Yeah, I'm a little crabby, a little crabby. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kind of not kidding. God damn it, people are reminding you of this every week. Get out there. Do something about it. Anyway, that's happening. Um, I believe QCC um, is also has their submissions open as well. I forgot to check and uh, get that done this weekend because I'm going out to QCC, so i got to go double-check that stuff too. Anyhow, anything else new and exciting, Sean? Nope, still nothing new and exciting, Brett. I thought maybe for announcements. <laughs> we were talking about regular no. personal stuff before. Oh, I'm sorry, no. You no. dick. <laughs> don't, don't poke the bear, ladies gonna and be gentlemen. It's going to be a good show right there. You can tell. Don't poke the bear. Random encounter, your turn. <laughs> All right. Let's go to a random encounter. All righty, then. Did you want me to start, Brett? Yes, please. All right. John Steve comments on Brett Fields. Brett, at the start of every session, hand someone in your group the rod of truth. Or pick a prop. Anyone with this item has the floor and can bring up anything that is currently on their mind. <laughs> a talking stick. Nice. Good or bad. This person cannot be interrupted until they relinquish the rod. They may hand it, no throwing anyone else who wishes to speak or simply put it on the table. After everyone's had a chance to partake of the rod's absolute power, a great cheer of dilly dilly might be in order. <laughs> I, I think Brett should do dilly dilly right now. Yeah, that's, that's what I should do. Yeah. Huh? Seriously, though, great pod. I've had similar feelings from time to time since I'm pretty much the GM for our group of many years. Honesty is absolutely required in these situations. If needed, you can still salt the earth later on. <laughs> Very true. Thank you, John. Good stuff, man. Dilly dilly. <laughs> dilly dilly indeed, Sean. Dilly dilly indeed. Yes. Might have to get that on a on a T shirt next. Dilly dilly. <laughs> Alright, who's up next here? Ah, Crimfan. Commented over on, uh, let's see here. <coughs> Excuse me, he's talking about our part-time gods of fate discussion we had with Aloy. Part-time god sounds a lot like a supers game, particularly uh, one 
set up in the form of Marvel's approach. In Marvel's approach, one of the things that made Spider-Man interesting as a character was that he he's basically kind of ordinary schmuck who struggles to pay the rent and has girl trouble. DNPCs in superhero games, which is um, dependent on player characters, for those who are not aware of that acronym. DNPCs in superhero games and other obligations set up these kinds of issues. I think he had some. Th- I think I had some things like this happen playing Vampire, where PCs sometimes had intrusions for uh, from whatever vestige of life they had led. Of course, it's not exactly the same because presumably the whole worship aspect is there, but still similarities. For the right group, this would be cool, definitely. But you're right, definitely not for certain types of players. Yeah, you know, Krim fan, I hadn't thought about that, but um, neither Sean nor I play superheroes role playing games usually, and. Um, which is kind of funny because you don't get a hell of a lot more superpower than vampire, amber, or part-time gods. <laughs> Talk about, wow, lots lots and lots of power. But, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting thought. And you're right. That is a lot like uh, like the Spider-Man setup, too. So good stuff, man. Thank you, as always, Grim Fan. Over to you, sir. Brett. Brett plays a superhero every day. Yeah. Guy who goes to office. <laughs> hey, man. Clark Kent, man. He had the... The Daily Planet. That's true, he did. Well, that did make for a lot of exciting reading. Clark Kent goes to Daily Planet day in, day out for one year. Nothing happens. <laughs> true, true, true. All right, next one. Hello, BSers. I like the game review of Cold Shadows and would enjoy other game reviews. I never have enough time to try all the games myself and always enjoy hearing about games that are out that are out there. When I'm lucky to attend conventions, I always try to play some game systems I've never played before just to see what they're like. Something I would highly recommend when you go to conventions, actually. Dilly dilly, says I. I, That is great, Brett. (laughs) Brett's waking up. That's my new thing. Speaking of conventions, I believe I heard Brett talk about having his kids on the show to give a review of GameholeCon after it's over. I looked back through a few shows but didn't find the show to get the number. This sounds like a lot of fun. I'm often reminded of my by my wife that I have an overactive and sometimes odd imagination. But I know that I don't see through kids' eyes anymore. Uh, people who don't have to adult just simply look at stuff differently, and I always find it very interesting to hear their thoughts about gaming and just stuff in general. It's good to be reminded that there's this whole world thing going on out there, not just the narrow view I get from my own experiences. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that you feel you got the issues with your group worked out. This can happen to the best and tightest of groups. My home group has just started playing again this year after not playing as a group for almost 18 months. This came about with very similar circumstances as what you mentioned with your group. The gaming group social contract is sometimes a fragile thing. Sometimes it's wise to take a break, but if the core issues are not dealt with, they will show back up. Unfortunately, after a few months of playing together again, my group has lost one player, maybe a second. First with the reason of, I have too many things going on in my life, which the rest of us are sure it's code for, I'm tired of playing with you guys. We have been friends for more than 15 years and continue to remain friends. The second, I'm pretty sure because the second, I'm pretty sure because his wife thinks he's got better things to do with his time. I don't have any sage advice or words of wisdom; just a couple of empty seats at the table. More than once in my 30 plus years of gaming, I have found that a group of good friends, 
does not always equal a good gaming group. Great shows as always, gentlemen. Looking forward to the monster show of monsters. Keep the dragon slain and the dungeons clear. Thanks again for all you do on the show. Thomas at Beholder's Horde. I'm glad it's not just me, Thomas. <laughs> Sorry for your pain, but I'm glad it's not just me. Um, yeah, I was talking at one point about having uh, Ilana and AJ on the show just to talk about gaming in general and perhaps after. Uh, kind of, I've not done that. We have not done that. So there is no episode for you to go back to listen to. But that's something that Sean and I have talked about with a little bit on the mics, obviously, and some off as well. So I think at some point I'll grab my two little ones and get them on the mics and have them talk about gaming. I think it might be interesting to... Sean to ask him questions to get because they're kids get their honest answers. <laughs> what do you like best? Killing stuff. What do you oh. like best? Taking this treasure. You know, I could see that happening. But anyway, yeah, very cool. Thank you, Thomas. And again, I, I think what you said at the very end there—a good a group of good friends does not always equal a good gaming group—is very true. I got people I work with that are pretty decent folks. They're great, but I don't think I want to game with them. You know, it's just uh, if you're lucky. Um, the two groups kind of uh, become the same, become one and the same. You know, if you're, if you're really fortunate, but otherwise, it's not always the case. That's very, very true. All right, man. Anything else in the in the locker there? No, I think that's it for random encounter. Thank you, everybody who has written in, commented. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get into random encounter. That was random encounter. <laughs> let's get into. <laughs> You just check and see thing. if I'm awake. I'm the totally top- awake. I heard that. Topic. Yeah, let's main get into topic. the main Yeah. All right, Brett. What are we talking about this week? Well, we threatened our listeners with monsters, so let's bring out the monsters. Rawr. 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 <laughs> All right, so what we want to talk about monster tweaks. Um, Sean and I have toyed with this a little bit. Here and there, but just wanted to kind of focus on it. It's one thing to say, "Oh yeah, my goblins or my orcs or my you know giants always do blah blah blah." And I'm kind of, and this is the chance, kind of like when we built a built an encounter. Um, Sean did one, I did one. Is we'll start with Sean, talk about some of the critters or a critter he wants to talk about, and I'll pepper him with a few questions as to why or how or what he's doing and uh, why he's doing it. Yeah, and sometimes uh, these types of discussions are even just as, as corny as like, like, hey, look, here's an idea, and it's okay. Most of our listeners, I think, are fairly savvy men and women, and the men and women who listen to us already know that you can do pretty much whatever you want with the monsters. That's your game, your monsters, whatever. You can do this. So chances are, um, I'm pretty sure both he and I chose creatures from a D20 um, background, so we'll stick with that. Um, it's just kind of a general reference point. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So, Sean, what, what's your uh, what's your critter or critters of choice here? So I picked two. None that are very, I mean, they don't hold a significant uh, place in my heart necessarily. I thought they were just two interesting ones that I wanted to bring up that seem to cover a couple different areas, I guess. I don't know, lack of better words. Okay, so are these creatures that you use often when you want to mess with something? or? You know, no, not necessarily. Man, well, I don't create. A, I don't. You know, everybody knows I don't create a ton of original stuff. That's true. No, no, no. That's fair. So, I figure so, I would. I wouldn't want to create anything original in this episode. I mean, why start now? 
Yeah, well, why be new and interesting now? Oh, wait. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's harsh. Okay, no, fair, though. I mean, the other piece when it comes to tweaking stuff is, like, how you play it. How do you um, talk about the monster? How do you <clears throat> engage with the players or the environment and whatever? So, all right, give me, um, where do you want to start? Which one? You got two? So, so I, I, as per your request, Brett, I picked two. Awesome. Which one? So, yeah, my, one is the Rust Monster. And the other is? Uh, Noel. Nice. Yeah. All right. Let's go with uh, let's go with the Rust Monster. What do you? Uh, so when you look at the Rust Monster, do you and because you tend to play package adventures and stuff. I mean, you and I have also played D and D long enough, or just been gaming long enough that the Rust Monster in its various incar- incan- incantations, incarnations. There we go, incarnations. Um, Probably a little bit different from first ed to second to third to three five to Pathfinder and so forth. Sometimes it just vary in size and and so forth. So is there anything? Is there a particular version of the Rust Monster that you like to lean into when you when you run a Rust Monster? So uh, there isn't necessarily, but I guess uh, what I was thinking of was the the tweaks I would make okay. to the to the Rust Monster. All right. And one of the things I would make a tweak for, or so standard for those that are not aware of what the rust monster is, because there may be somebody that has never encountered a rust monster. That's true. Might as well lay it out there. So the rust monster is scary. <laughs> if you're wearing plate armor, it is. If you're if you're like a metal heavy metal. Then, then you do not want to run into a rust monster. No, no, you do not. So they they could smell metal within thirty feet. Any non magical weapon made of metal that hits the rust monster corrodes. After dealing damage, the weapon takes a permanent and cumulative minus one penalty to damage rolls. Now, this is five E rules for those of you that are like, wait a minute. So we're going. I'm just using the five E rust monster version. If its penalty drops to minus five, the weapon is destroyed. Non-magical ammunition made of metal that hits the rust monster is destroyed after dealing damage. So if you're wearing plate armor, like Brett mentioned, or anything metal, chain, shield, sword, shield, sword, yeah. And this is a creature who is, it wants your metal. (laughs) I mean, it eats the rust, right? I mean, that's what it does. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like you can be like, well, I'll just avoid this thing. No, it's going to creep up on you or um, you're going to see it and go, what the hell is that? And take a whack at it. So what do you do? How do you tweak that thing? Sounds pretty straightforward. So, yeah, I would just tweak it and not make it metal. I would probably make it like leather. Oh, change the the (laughs) thing in which it eats. Yeah. That's interesting because if you think leather, would you think, wow, then flesh is part of it, is leather, right? I would say flesh, leather, uh, hide, hide-based. Like the stuff thing. I'm made of. Right. Yeah, without, or, this, without this T-shirt, I'm a high, I have hide armor. It's not really tough hide armor, but it's still hide. So I would probably drop some hints with the player characters as they approach a particular habitat that has this would probably not be called the rust monster at this point it'd probably be called the hide monster so when a rust monster touches something or something touches it it turns it to 
turns the metal to rust and then it consumes it. Okay. Well, maybe it's not the hide monster. I like I like what you're doing though, because that that suddenly becomes a ravenous fucking creature. Yeah, so it would probably be where it would maybe eat the hides of animals, but not the animal itself. So if you came across the deer or stag it's or it's been skinned. It's been skinned. Because this thing has moved in and taken it apart that way. Wow! So it's not, it's oh my not, god, that's disgusting. I love it's it. Not, it's not the un, it's not the underneath the meat and potatoes, the muscle. It's the hide of whatever it looks for, and it's specifically probably I would make it like mammal based. I wouldn't. I wouldn't probably go after like reptilian type. I mean, I guess you could <laughs> pulls the hide off like a tube sock and just devours the hide. Yeah, kind of. Well, the creature, like, the creature's basically been skinned alive. Yeah, kind of like a how a snake sheds its skin. Um, yeah, it would probably be something like that where it would just kind of remove the hide of the the animal, including, so when it, including humans. So when it touches you, it's so almost gonna it, have like a carrying crawler like paralysis. Then wouldn't it? And I would say that it doesn't have to be living hide. So if you're wearing <clears throat> leather armor, oh, you're you're safer there because they'll eat the armor and let you and let you run away. Potentially. Potentially. But it's still, you know, you got some hide on yourself, right? Yeah, you get some skin. And depending where it was sitting in that horrible dungeon, it's ravenously hungry at this point. Yeah. Maybe it's like maybe because skin is kind of a weird thing, right? Hide is a, a kind of a weird thing. I mean, if you wanted to get into the scientifics of it to kind of justify how this monster and the ecology of the monster, I would just say that skin and hide are, I guess some people say it's dead. Well, skin cells are kind of dead, and maybe not, huh. but it's the outside skin, right? It's like chicken has skin. All right, so, so you attack a rust monster with your blade. <clears throat> right. It turns the blade to rust and devours the rust. If this thing touches you, or it touches your leather armor, it falls off and it just starts devouring it. Yeah. Let's say it gets down to the point where it's just the mage and uh, or the monk, and those flimsy little monk robes have fallen off. He gets you by the leg. Does it like start ripping off bits of your flesh like a mummy bandage? God, it that'd could, be disgusting. You could rip it off like a mummy bandage, or you can have the the flesh start to corrode if you oh. wanted to read it, read it, relate it back to. The oh, like it liquefies it, like it sucks it off or something. Yeah, maybe it sizzles. So you, it's kind of an acid thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that that thing's fucking creepy now, man. Hey. Brett's, Brett's Gaming Group, you're welcome. <laughs> I like it, actually. That's like a rust monster mixed with a, a troll or something. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I think there's going to be a little bit of a common theme, at least with the, the, the creatures I'm thinking of, like even the old rust monster. Well, it's interesting. Just something. So you're taking the rust monster and changing um, basically what it, it's threatening the party with what? Previously, it was threatening the party with destroying their metal, eat their gold. Right. Um, and that was like the Zorn and stuff. It ate treasure. Hey, wine you know? skin, wine skin, leather, water skin. Uh, armor, water skin. Anything that's like canvas, almost like canvas based. And like if you're playing D&D, a lot of stuff's made out of hide. The gear muncher. Could be like saddlebags. I mean, yeah. any anything leather, man, is boots. like. Do, boots, man. Imagine Boot. I'm going to eat your boots. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna liquefy them and then slobber up your boots, and then right after that's your feet. Yeah, Jesus, that's creepy as hell. I love it. 
Wow. So you t- you take the Rust Monster, change its diet, and now it's no longer the annoying thing you just plink with arrows because it might eat your metal. Or you go, well, fine. I'll throw I'll throw this extra set of plus one chainmail I happen to be carrying because every good adventure in D anD D carries like umpteen plus one swords or daggers or whatever in the classic sense, right? So you know, fuck it, shunk. I'll throw the extra suit of chainmail at it. That'll keep it busy for us. We can circumvent this creature. You throw the chainmail at it. It goes, whatever, dude. I want your skin. <laughs> So maybe if you're a standard nettle, demonic or or uh, or like a devil, that thing's horrible. Wow. Say, say you do have metal armor in on, maybe that uh, gives you a save for it to not detect you in that in that way, right? Or, or it doesn't like you, right? It, it comes yeah, at you like and metal, tastes that metal blessed way. Yeah. You know. Tastes like crap, right? <laughs> Don't like that. But Ooh. yeah, smells that mage or even that rogu. That's uh, wearing leather. Something smells better than that. So what made you think of this? What made you cross this? Was it like, hey, think of the troll or think of the acid or something? What made you come up with that? Well, I think I think monsters are pretty easy to manipulate on a fundamental basis. So I think you take a monster specifically that has a, is, is its kind of thing. In, in the Rust Monster's case, it's got this one thing that it, people know it for fearing is eating the metal. Yeah. And if you just modify that. Now, there are monsters that are already modified, right? So if you look at golems, there's all kinds of golems. Iron golem, clay golem, flesh golem. There were treasure golems back in 4E right. and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so somebody's already kind of tackled that. So you could take a golem and go, oh, you know, maybe I'll make it a bone golem. Oh, that's probably been done already. Blood but, golem. Been done. Yeah. Right. But this, right. this I've not seen before. Right, so you just take a regular monster and you give it a certain ability, a certain trait, certain um, special ability or innate magical trait and tweak it. So you don't have to, I mean, you have to keep in mind kind of if you do play balance, Brett doesn't matter, he doesn't <laughs> care. But if you say, well, Rust Monster is, in this case, a CR, is it a, shoot, what is it? Uh, I don't remember what it is. Well, even if you don't do that, you've got a creature that was designed, at least in Brett's opinion, designed to remove remove metal from a party, right? Strip that loving plate mail and chain mail off that dwarf and the and the human fighter, right? <laughs> Weaken them. Use uh, use resources. Right. I've now changed it from that. It's no longer a nuisance. Oh, it ate my shield. To oh my god, it took my boots and my left foot. Right, this damn near yeah. becomes a green slime type of encounter, which is a lot more debilitating potentially. Yeah, and so okay, maybe it gets one of your boots, and it's not that big a deal. Okay, so Rust Monster is a half, one half CR, so not not a tough monster by any means. It's got twenty seven hit points, armor class fourteen, uh, natural armor. I mean, you can keep all the stats the same. He just senses dark vision, sixty foot, uh, sixty feet, but that iron scent, you change that to like flesh scent or hide scent. Um, rust metal, you could say maybe liquefies, hide, and then devours it. Um, yeah. And then you could leave the bite attack, and then the atene, which it has. You, you basically turn in. the creature into a, a a form of a carrion crawler in a way, and that's a scrounger, right? Sure. So it's going to normally in a dungeon environment, <clears throat> it's probably not going to attack living things. It would be the dead leather, all that stuff that you're carrying with you is basically you stink like roadkill <laughs> right. to this creature. So yeah. the creature's like, oh, 
here comes a big bag of really juicy boiled leather. That's just roadkill to them. It's dead flesh. So there, and once you start fighting back, it's going to be like, okay, um, it's used to fighting other creatures for the carrion it wants, and it's just kind of a, an animal response back and forth. Wow, okay. Damn, dude, that's cool. I like that. So then what happens is if you, you could still keep the same rule where it takes damage uh, to, to the, to the uh, item, and then once it hits a particular threshold, the item I mean, is destroyed. It could be liquefied, maybe devoured. But, you know, the nice thing about it is, I mean, say, I mean, it's not, de- it couldn't, it could be deadly, it might not be deadly, but say you, it gets one of your boots. Well, guess what? Unless you got another second pair of boots, you're hobbling around with one boot on. Well, we've talked about this number episode back about gear, right? How right. important gear can be and... <laughs> excuse me, messing with character's gear, you know, that resource perspective. And, charge, and changing it this way, I mean, even Lovecraft ghouls, if I remember my Call of Cthulhu correctly, they ate dead flesh only. They were not about eating live flesh. The reason they would burrow underneath um, graveyards and stuff was so that they could get the dead bodies because that's what they ate. They ate the dead, rotting flesh. So even if you didn't want to go so far as to have <laughs> creepy-ass flesh-melting, you know, sucking your, you know, leg, you know, leg meats off like a like a slurpy monster. It just if all it does is does it only eats carrion, only eats the dead flesh, which would therefore be the leather goods that you have on you. That's still different enough to, and the creep factor would be high because you're not going to tell the characters or the players, oh yeah, don't worry, it'll only eat your leather straps, it'll only eat your boots. You're going to talk about the melting of the flesh, the devouring of this leather, you know. <laughs> That's gonna increase. Wow, that's good, dude. I like that. That is well done. So that's my first one, and then my second one would be the knoll. Now I didn't go into a lot of detail about tweaking the knoll too heavily. So for those of those uh, knolls, look like dogs that stand up on hind legs. Hyenas actually look like hyenas. Yeah. Which is if you've not seen a hyena, right? Go watch a nature film. Look them up. They're scary fucking animals. The spotted hyena, whatever, the different types of hyenas in Africa, they're big, nasty, ugly, smelly. They've got jaws practically as strong as a lion's. They're, they're just gigantic, or power, gigantic power, I should say. Keep going. So the knoll is, like Brett mentioned, hyena standing up. Um, it's a CR half, another half CR kind of creature, unless you bump it up a few and give it some more beef. But uh, Dark Vision 60 feet, hide armor, um, has a rampage. So when the Knoll reduces a creature to zero hit points with a melee attack on its turn, the Knoll can take a bonus action to move up to half its speed and make a bite attack. Um, actions are bite, spear, 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 longbow, um, some of the attacks. It's pretty, it's basically, I take a Knoll as kind of like a human with just, it's turned into a dog, kind of canine type. But. What you can do is you modify it to make it more. Maybe you make it a lycanthrope. Okay, um, yeah, even a ly- lycanthrope type trait. Um, you, I even thought of. Do you create a knoll, and when the moon comes out, it turns into a human being? Hmm. So kind of a, but I don't know. I don't not that doesn't really catch on to me that much. But but knoll. So take a knoll, a normal knoll, and maybe get it. Give it regeneration. Um, oh, shoot. What else can you give it? 
Maybe you can, maybe it's, if you cross it with lycan, uh, lycanthropy, you can maybe make it blink in and out during the evening of a full moon or something like that. So it's still a knoll, and instead of turning into a werewolf or a lycanthropic, lycanthropic knoll, maybe it blinks in it's between a, dimensions. Instead of a blink dog, you get a blink knoll. Yeah. But it's it's but it only does it so it takes half the traits of what lycanthropy does and then part of what blink dogs do and allow that to to kind of mess things up. So if you're camping at night and you're on watch and you run into these, a normal knoll, I mean you could probably dispense with them pretty easily. Now you gotta be careful with this when you start getting into blinking because that could probably beef up the encounter pretty badly. You get three or four blinking and you can't hit any of them. Or you got to, I don't even know what the deal is. If it's a disadvantage or 50-50 shot, I don't remember um, what that would look like. But you're the GM. Make it up. Um, but it will only be under certain circumstances, right? So if you run into them during the day, they're normal knolls. Yeah. Run them at night, they've got some weird night traits. Night traits. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, traits that only apply in the evening after the sun goes down. Something you could like do that. you could do a um, cross with a, a displacer beast then too. Right. Yeah. You could do something along those lines. A buddy of my uh, alpha did this thing when he had us attacked by. We were just got our asses handed by this huge, basically an army of gnolls invaded this town and we we're just getting pummeled and beaten and had to run back and it was just <clears throat> it was a really great intro actually the campaign but one of the things that we witnessed while we were in this tower defending it was the gnolls had these huge hyenas that they'd bring with them on chains and whatever and uh, they would pile all the bodies up of all the slain and let the gnolls eat them mm. and we're like okay that's just disgusting they're eating the dead bodies well after a certain number of them these gnolls would be excuse me these uh, hyenas were gorged they were just to a point where they were look like they were going to explode then they kind of wander off like all this kind of crazy, you know, food coma dog thing and then fall down, start screaming, and boom, a knoll would burst out of its stomach. Like, Whoa. oh, my God, that's how they're making knolls? This is disgusting. It was a all knolls, essentially what we learned there, they're, they just, that's how they breed. That's how they spawn. They take hyenas and through this bizarre ritual process and the devour of the the men and women that they that they slew, they were creating gnolls that way. That itself made them creepy as fuck because it was a demonic um, kind of conjuration that created them. It was not something normal. Not that a knoll is normal, but hmm, I like that. That's another kind of a take a critter and mix it a bit. You could even have a knoll <coughs> have displacer beast hide cloaks, or that they've killed blink dogs. Use their blood, make a potion or something. Well, that's a good and point. Th- that tribe yeah. has them. They hunt them down and they use that power. And this is how they juice themselves. It's a special form of magic that this tribe or clan is has figured out, and that's what they're using. That's kind of cool. Yeah, if you want to, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, Brett. So what we're what with the rust monster, flesh monster, whatever you want to call that modification with Noel, I mean, or even just any creature, you could magically. Take the trait of a, like you said, the displacer beast hide, and then mm-hmm. that allows them to use the what it, that main thing of that creature now is on the knoll. Yeah, right? that now they're displaced. Right, right. they just oh shit it makes it harder because normally, I mean, a knoll being a, what a half cr, 
Yes. <laughs> so from a balance perspective, it means, you know, two people could take one down normally. Right. So it's right. So if you want to buff them up a little bit, mm-hmm. you give them one of these cloaks from a displacer beast and maybe now they're a, you know, two CR, three CR. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, and who gives a shit, right? Because it's, you know, screw balance, right, Brett? Oh, yeah. Normally, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry so much about the CR piece. I love the cool factor of that. It's right. that it just changes the creature into something that um, your jaded gamers like Brett and Sean would be like, wow, I haven't seen that before, which is the thing the Alpha did with his gnolls when they created gnolls by feeding, as I said, and then the eruption and the, the gore were like, oh, my God, that's just fucking disgusting. Damn, that's creepy, man. Good stuff. You know, we were we were all kind of creeped out and angry and uh, like, God damn, fucking gnolls are just breeding. This will get worse, you know, seeing how they ran through like this big pack of just devouring everything. And then they kept getting stronger and stronger was the rumors we'd heard. Well, duh, they are getting stronger because all the hyenas they bring with them are just, you know, transforming through this process. I like the idea of a blink one, though. That would be kind of cool where a knoll is either has blink features to it or has kills blink dogs and the shamanic magic of some sort distills their blood or even their hide or something. Or maybe they found a way to capture an essence of a blink dog or a displacer beast and one of their shaman came up with it and now is, you know, maybe there's just a small group of them, which is even more interesting because you could say, you know, the first time you run into them, they have these properties. You're like, holy shit. And then you run into another group of them and they don't. Because maybe they haven't been, you know, um, yeah, enchanted. Other group, yeah, the other group hasn't figured out that if you stew a displacer beast's brains in its own skull, you know, it eat it at, the, at a full moon, that this is what happens to you. Yeah, or you, you know? can make them two different kind of squads. Like mm-hmm. you've got the elite gnolls and that the the lesser elite, or the less soldier, foot soldier gnolls. Yeah. So that keeps the party kind of like, is it the, the big... The bad bad guy, like the super gnolls or the less super gnolls, you know? Um, yeah. So it doesn't, yeah. The cool thing with that, too, gnoll, there's a flind, which is an amped up gnoll that they put out in the Fiend Folio. They had a flind bar, which was their weapon. That's right. Um, which, but, I mean, that's a standard thing that anybody has access to, right? And in the, the 3.0 stuff, and I think 4E and 5E has different changes. If you get, um, which one is it? It's not a Xanthar's Guide. It's the previous one. Volo's Guide to Monsters. Volo's There's guide, yeah. uh, Volo's Guide has modifications and different versions of things. And this is just yet another way to go about it. Very cool. I like the my favorite, though, so far, dude, is Ross Monster. I like that. That's just creepy as fuck. Cool. Got another one, or are you good there? No, I, I, I picked two. But I think the whole lesson of this episode itself is... Get creative. Take the monster. Get creative, and don't don't stretch too far. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to take hours on thinking this stuff up. You can just take a particular trait of another monster and tack it onto to one. Well, one thing that you, you that you did there too was it sticks to the setting, sticks to the milieu of D and D, right? That setting, that fantasy trope, whatever it is, Knowles having. Blink like powers or displacer beast powers because they use the hides or they ate the brains or a rust monster that is a slightly different variant. It fits within the setting, <clears throat> right? Knolls don't suddenly have laser pistols in a game that don't have laser pistols or have breathe fire in some strange way, right? You didn't. There's like a almost a too far perspective, right? Without even greater explanation as to why it would be different. I think what you did there was cool. I like that. Awesome. Yeah. 
So what you got going on over there, Brett? Well, I grabbed three of them, Atyugs, Yellow Musk Creepers, and Goblins. I brought up Goblins because I think my favorite, one of my favorite variations of Goblins, and I did this to a couple of friends of mine, is the Nilbog, which is a Nilbogism, which is Goblin spelled backwards. It's this nasty little thing that came up in the Fiend Folio. And this is kind of where I got, when I first read this, I went, oh my god, every time you hit a Nilbog and you do damage, you heal it. If you try to cure light wounds on it, you wound it. It's basically a reverse goblin. And it is amazing fun throwing a pack of these small things at a group of players who haven't, who can't figure it out, no clues, and they wail on them and wail on them, wail on them. And watching these players just go bananas, trying to figure out how the hell they kill these things. You get a fifth-level fighter taken down by six nilbogs, or what he sees as goblins, because he can't kill them. He just has nothing to whack them with, you know? <clears throat> so that kind of got my, my taste for it after I read that uh, encounter. And one of the things I've done, too, then, is keeping with, just to step that, just a, that was just a offhanded example of what I thought was just some crazy fun. Uh, one of my favorite things I've been messing with as of late, if you listen to the Streets of Ablon uh, actual play, um, that I use uh, Otiugs. And in a large city, one of the things I tried to do was figure out how the hell, um, <clears throat> in a massive city like Avalon, deal with all the, the waste. Right? So there's the River Styx, which flows beneath Avalon. There's an entire guild of sanitary excavators that help make sure the river flows where it should. There's clean water here. The uh, mess is loosed away down here. I'm like, man, there's still going to be stuff. There's going to be dead bodies, debris, um, all this garbage and stuff. What the filth that's just going to pile up in certain areas, you know? What would get rid of it? Atiugs. Atiugs eat garbage. So what I did with Atiugs was they, um, <coughs> excuse me, they're basically really large, um, big balls of garbage and dung-eating monsters. They're brutal and nasty guard their territory fanatically, and so on, but they're also loved and cared for by different cadres within the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators. They need these things, like Vera, or um, they've got Vera, Old Stinky, um, you know, Sore Thumb, whatever they want to name them, that live in key points within the sewer system. And they they feed them and make sure they're clean, or um, not make sure they're clean, but make sure they've got plenty of flesh, fresh water and debris flows down. If things back up, they work around it and so on. But taking, <coughs> excuse me, taking that creature, putting it down there. So the characters encounter an Atiug, and this, and the first time you run into it in the sewers, you think, ah, a monster, right? So players attack said monster, defeat said monster, hooray! And then some guild members show up because they heard a fracas. They come trundling down and go, you killed Stinky, you sons of bitches. And they're mad at you. You're like, well, it's a monster. Oh, you bastards, that's Stinky. He cleans out the whole blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, just, you just made enemies of this cadre of, uh, of the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators because you killed their Atiug. It's basically their mascot, if you will, that takes care of this section of the sewer system for them. So <clears throat> basically taking a creature like that um, and putting it in a city where it does some good despite its monstrous appearance. I, um, If I recall, I took inspiration from an old Ed Greenwood article. I think it may have been The Ecology of the Atiug. I think he was the one who wrote it, and I distinctly remember I have not found the article itself. I've got it buried somewhere in my collection. Where 
a king or somebody used a ati to get the base of the cesspit for the same reason, right? To make sure that the uh, all the cesspool, um, the waste from the castle, was um, crushed, cleaned, basically eaten and uh, sluiced out. And that was a place he would dump political <laughs> enemies and stuff as well, because you know it's like throwing them in a meat grinder. So that was just. Um, I don't change the creature itself. I just change the setting and the way it's perceived mm. in its location. You know, it would be kind of like having a rust monster be the pet of a school of monks. They're all open hand. They don't they don't believe in metal yeah. or anything like that. But just changing its setting or how it's this perception, excuse me, its perception within the game setting. Like, wow, the Yatuk isn't holy. The Yatuk is a useful tool, like a guard dog or anything else. And when the players accidentally get stupid and fight the creature because, like, oh, it's a monster. You kill monsters and take their stuff while they're looting the putrid corpse. The guild shows up and, uh, yeah, you got some explaining to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is it a good idea or you think it's terrible? No, there's no terrible (laughs) ideas, Brett. No, not at all. Oh, there's terrible ideas, Sean. They're out there. There are, but... I, I've had it's... them, too. I know. I've been struck by terrible <laughs> ideas in the past. This one I was pretty proud of because it's just fun. When the first time characters in, hit something like that or encounter it, like, it's like, it's a monster, but you need it? And it's disgusting, but you need it? You know? So, kind of kind of fun. The other one I had was the Yellow Musk Creeper. I talked about this briefly. Yellow Musk Creeper, I don't believe... The only place I ever knew knew they existed was in the first edition Fiendfolio. Yellow musk creeper is a large uh, plant, right? It's got it's a climbing plant, so it's, de- it's described as having vines and stuff with uh, leaves like ivy, dark green buds, and flowers of an orchid, bright yellow in color with splashes of purple. Each plant will have two to twelve flowers and one to four buds. It extends over an area of up to twenty f- feet square. Typically, the plant is found in soily areas underground. Although specimens have been identified, the heart of thick forests, creeper can climb up trees and rock faces with equal facility. It is sometimes planted deliberately in locations where it will guard treasure. So here's the trick on this sucker: when you're approached within ten feet, the creeper attacks. <clears throat> the flowers sway in a hypnotic way before face before the face of the victims. The successful hit indicates one of the flowers has puffed a dust-smelling musk into the victim's face. The victim then makes a saving throw against magic or be entranced and walk into the mass of the plant, resisting any tra- attempts to restrain him and taking the remainder of the melee round to do so. Once you're at the heart of the plant, aerial roots attached to the skull, <laughs> no hit required, and the brain is devoured at the rate of one to four intelligence points per round. Yum! Yummy. Once that's done, you get things called uh, yellow musk zombies. The victims of the yellow musk creeper, whose intelligence is reduced to one or two points, one or two points. So it's not like stupid, stupid. I mean, one or two is bad. But there's a level that I would have in my head. I always thought of like animal, like creepy um, cunning would be left in there. The victim's mindless. The skin turns yellow and its eyes become fixed and glazed. Um, <laughs> in the victim's skull is a, is a seed where um, it starts to germinate. This is how it makes new yellow musks, yellow musk creepers. So what I would do is, last time I had this, was I put it in a room. I think I described this a while back. But I take these types of plants, and I put it in a room where it's growing in a moist area. 
and the vines go floor to ceiling, almost like a um, uh, like the roots of a tree. Like if you dug up a tree, you'd see all these tendrils coming from the roots to the ceiling or crawling up the walls, whatever. And hanging in different sections throughout the room are these desiccated corpses with the vines and stuff poking through their heads, out the eye holes, whatever. You've got the weapons in hand and everything are wrapped up. They're just hanging there like sacks. Usually at the scent, uh, yep, and usually at the center of it is um, is a treasure or it's a thing that they got to have. So, yeah, <clears throat> in the center of the room or somewhere in that area where the yellow moss creeper is and the zombies all hanging from the vines and stuff um, is a thing the characters need, want, or something at least interesting to entice them in. <clears throat> now, obviously, what happens then is they come in and the things start to sway and move, the vines move around and whatever, the flowers are moving, the zombies are attacking, it gets kind of crazy, whatever. So normally it, the, the monster itself and the creatures it talks about in the rule book is like saying, hey, you're making these saving throws and doing this stuff in the event itself. What I do is two events later, right, two days later in game time or <clears throat> sometimes even a session later, have somebody make a constitution save in a modern game or a save versus paralysis or a save versus whatever. Magic, if that happens to be the thing. And um, they say, why? I said, well, just, just make a save. Okay. If they make it, I'm like, hey, you're, just, you're not feeling really good. You've kind of got a headache and you got like this pounding right behind your eyes. If they fail, they get the headache and they start coughing. And when they cough in their hand, they've got this yellowish mucus which is kind of gross. Ew. So basically what I'm doing is I'm taking the effects of the creature and making them last longer than they're supposed to by the rule. So you're infected. You're, you've been exposed to a thing. And um, the only way I've had players stop this problem is once they, if they've encountered it once, you know, fool me once, you know, shame on, shame on you, fool me twice type of thing. So what happens is that if they ever encountered it again, they're done with the fight. Everybody, you get done with the room, you get out, you strip, <laughs> and you clean your clothes. You wash stuff, you cast purified food and water, you do something to clean yourself. Wash, do something to get the stuff off of you. Because otherwise, basically, you're covered in the spores and things of this yellow musk creeper plant monster. It just kind of clings to you and works on you. I have also thought about doing this, haven't done it yet, where... If it's outside, if you're in, if you put this creature in like a swamp or something like that, and the players, after they encounter, encounter the monster, they deal with it, they deal with the zombies. All right, cool, we killed the fucking thing, or we escaped, or whatever it is. They're sleeping in the swamp, right? They wake up and make a perception check, make a saving throw of some sort, and when they get up, they, they feel like they're uh, kind of... Like everything's tight, like they just can't quite seem to get moving. Their muscles are hurting. Everything's kind of sore while well, you sleep in a swamp, whatever. If they pay attention, realize what's happening is these little tendrils are growing out of their skin and hooking into the ground around them. They're basically covered in these spores, <clears throat> which are trying to latch into the earth and then burrow their way into the, into the character and then kill them, turning them basically into uh, living uh, compost heaps for the plant. Whoa. So that's a <laughs> so the other it's kind of like the um kind of like the rust monster in a way and that's got the creep factor where it's you know a plant that's slowly trying to eat you or dissolve you or when you stay in contact with other plant matter or loamy soil or whatever it is it tries to sprout roots and hold you down 
at some point and just destroy you. You can do a cure disease or whatever else you want to, to, to get rid of the plant problem, the infestation you have. But what I'm doing is basically taking the effects of the creature and dragging it out. So then that monster's impact is not just that time. It's longer. It's kind of like, and I took a cue from, the, again, to your point about mixing things up, is lycanthropy. So your lycanthrope bites you, and assuming you make the first save, sometimes depending on the system, you may have to make another one a day later, or if you failed, nothing happens till the first full moon, potentially the character forgets about it, or a player forgets about it. Reading some poisons. Back in the day, you'd have two, three different saving throws you'd have to make to see how it affected you. There's like the initial hit, and then potentially something later on. So I like the idea of having a lingering effect like this. You were exposed to this creature. It's a nefarious, horrible thing that has multiple ways to continue to uh, expand. <laughs> you know, it's breeding um, by eating through you in one way, shape, or form. It either does it there in the confines of his little yellow musk creeper domain, or if you go too far away and you're infected, that's fine. You're just going to carry the spores somewhere else, which I find to be quite creepy and gruesome and a lot of fun to do, too. Sounds fantastic. So I'm going to go back to my goblins for a second, Sean. <clears throat> when you, when I run goblins, one of the things I've done to get players to uh, to think they're even less of a threat than usual is I make them kind of clowny and goofy. Have you ever done that? Kind of like Three Stooges goofy? Yeah, damn near. We're like, oh, don't hurt us. It's just grease snack. Oh, no, don't hurt us. Ah, you know. Uh, I mean, well, they I kind of—they're cowardly and craven and begging for mercy all the time. And yeah, I don't think that's—I—I uh, I think I've played them similar to that on occasion. Have you ever used it where they bait the characters? Uh I have not, but I think it would be—it work well using the what is it, the bard spell, where it would be like make a save, or otherwise you gotta. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I had a group of uh, goblins, <clears throat> and um. I did this to prove a point to some guys in second edition because they were like very high level, you know, 10, 15th level characters type of thing. 10, I think 10 or 12, actually. One guy's a paladin. He's pretty kick-ass. And um, so these goblins start pestering them on horseback in the rocks. And they're getting annoyed because they can't seem to chase the goblins down because the goblins do the little hit-and-run tactics, right? Run up, twing, twing, twing. You kill a couple of goblins. Ah! run away then they take off and then finally it happens and as the goblins start to run away one of them jumps up on a rock drops his pants and starts wiggling his butt just full moon like ah ha 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 stupid adventurers <laughs> you know picking on them and just goading them and knowing my players at the time like oh that's fucking it that is it we chased a little bastard down it was a trap so they just come barreling into this little box canyon and, and then on top of it are like 50 goblins with boulders just raining death on the party. Like, oh, son of a bitch, fucking goblins. So <laughs> if you encounter my goblins and they seem like they're craven little weaklings, the chances are they're also probably, well, they're chaotic evil, you know, so they're going to be a little nasty in the background. But I do um, I do tend to take those creatures in. And, uh, instead of back in the day everything fought to the death, I love to have them surrender. Because they're cowardly, they're craven, they're conniving, they're secretive. They would probably kill you in your sleep. But he's really pathetic right now. He's just really sad. He's got great big, you know, anime eyes, and he just loves it so much, life, and just really, please don't kill me, Mr. Adventurer, sir. 
And uh, <clears throat> that's 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 a fun way to just twist on it because the goblin knows, you know, how does he survive? You know, he's a bootlicking toady when the orcs come around. That's how he makes sure he stays around, right? When the big boss comes up, he's just kissing ass and licking toes the whole way through. Well, you're the next, you're the next big thing. So, <clears throat> however, you turn your back on the little fucker, and he'll steal stuff or stab you or do whatever he thinks he needs to do. Sean, do you have any other critters that you like to mess with, or that you think that you thought of while we're talking here? No, not not that I can think of. I mean, there's plenty I would probably modify or tweak or play in a particular way, but. I like the idea, you know, basically uh, what I think we've come up with here is, you know, well, you take your yellow musk creeper and I'm extending it. You take its reach or whatever it is and you just draw it out. So it happens over a longer period of time. The Atiug is all setting based. So we've changed the creature insofar as just how it's perceived and how it's utilized. And what you did with the rust monsters and the gnolls was take other factors within the D&D verse. I've got blink gnolls or displaced gnolls potentially. Um... And then the rust monsters just flip the script and have them be carrion monsters. They just they eat rotten meat or dead meat of some sort, leather, of course. And well, you'd think if it gets hungry enough, it'll make its own dead meat. Might not eat you right away, but it'll kill you and come back and slurp the goodness off your bones. I like yeah. that. Yeah, <clears throat> because it's just taking something a little bit normal and add a tweak to it. You don't have to do this all the time, but it's one of those ways where. If you stay, you stay creative like this as a game master, and you throw these little changes out there, it makes your old school jaded players not go, ah, it's a bugbear, ah, it's a green slime, ah, it's one of these. Get the torches, ah, don't hit it with lightning, don't care about lightning, ah, bring this out, ah, it's a troll. You, you know, you take that troll and it doesn't, and uh, fire doesn't hurt it. Why? Because it's different. You take it and flip it. It's only damaged by frost or something different. You, you just change something as simple as that. And uh, it has a big impact, especially on that group of players who are very used to a certain thing. And I love the idea of um, what, what does that flesh-eating rust monster now do, right? As you described, the what does its lair look like? You know, you see the hide peeled off of a raccoon. That's weird, right? An adventurer's horse is dead, and there's big strips of flesh torn off the back where the saddlebags are gone. The horse is beat up, but all the leather straps are gone. That's weird. Dead adventurers, crushed, smashed, bloody, broken, battered, and beaten. All of his leather goods are gone. All the metal's still there. All the gold, everything's there. But what's this? The other, I, I like the idea of looking at the creature, the tweaks you've done, and then figure out what does that ecology mean. And by that, I'm talking about the clues it leaves behind. So when you start to th- show those clues, those little hints of what's coming up to your players, to have them go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right? That's the idea. So you take all that, that cool thing you did, and then think about, as Sean said, what does that do? What kind of spore does it leave behind? What telltale signs or tracks is it putting in the environment, be it dungeon, wherever, that your character's now going to have to dig up? It's got, you, know, if you think about the movie Aliens, the old Aliens movies, you know, spoiler, they have acidic blood. And sticky, slimy stuff. You know that part in the movie. I'm like, ugh, slimy, ugh, acid. You're like, ah, oh, Christ, aliens are coming. You want to have that same, ew, gross, that feeling that something's coming, but you don't want the, ah, it's obviously aliens because it's an aliens movie. You want the, something's coming, I don't know what the hell it is because this is different. And by doing what 
we've talked about here, I think that will help get you a little bit different. So cool. If you've got ideas or anything, lay it on us, man. If you've got a favorite monster tweak you've done, and I think doing things like dragons and big creatures like that is kind of passe to me in a way because everybody modifies dragons. Everybody fucks with that stuff. I like thinking about the small stuff, the gnolls, your half-CR creatures, your common everyday critter, the goblin, the kobold, the rust monster, the atiag. How do you modify those things? Because those are the things that, especially at low-level play, it makes low-level play pretty fucking interesting because all of a sudden all the things that your players are used to is different now. So I think it's good stuff. Anything else on that, Sean? No, let's hit die roll. Let's die roll it up. Die roll. Brett, go ahead, man. Yeah, I've got one. You stole my other one. <clears throat> Sorry. So, uh, that's okay. I found him like, oh, I'm going to do this one. Oh, Sean, I had it in there. So our good friends over at Atlas Obscura, um, they always have some interesting stuff. So this one's about a chained coffin, the Hassel Grave. A mysterious chains and iron stakes adorn this strange grave with no explanation. So, of course, there's plenty of good uh, reasons why any good gamer would want to have iron stakes and chains um, around a coffin or a burial site of any kind. Uh, but this one, the burial plot's cornered by four iron stakes draped with heavy chains, and a huge slate slab covers the grave. It remains a mystery as to exactly why these chains were placed here back in the 1850s, but they still stand to this day. <clears throat> I love looking at some of the different, um, when I get a chance and I see stuff something like this as far as a burial custom, and then even if it's odd, old, or something that isn't done today, or done by a different um, uh, culture, it's something you can take and then then it becomes different enough that you can implant it in a, in a setting. <clears throat> if it's real world, it's, it's just great fodder for, hey, hey, this ancient civilization of the Mayans or whomever had this barrel custom. Or if you take it and modify it, drop it into your D&D type world, it, just, it becomes something kind of cool and, and potentially creepy. So anyway, the chain grave link in the show notes. Sean, what have you got, man? So you want to run a Blades in the Dark one-shot by Platonic Solids on Medium. So Platonic has a article on Medium that outlines how to run Blades in the Dark one shot. Interesting. And then uh, second one, Investigator Images, a curated list of yearbooks for Call of Cthulhu by MDoc31 on his Rolling Boxcars blog. So on his blog, he has... A lot of yearbooks from like 1901 to like 1930, just a plethora of them, uh, including um, some black uh, high, black schools for African Americans that are like five of them that are listed. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so you can, if you want to look for the right image for your investigator, he's got a, it's a good resource there. Those things are handy just to to grab the, the look, the feel for NPCs and your PCs and such. And, <clears throat> excuse me, unless I miss my guess, yearbooks also have some local colors, thoughts, and different potential other photos and stuff in there, too. So that's pretty cool. Neat yeah. find, man. Um, uh, see. Third one, six-foot-tall, 100,000-piece Lego Bat Cave. That's a big Bat Cave. It is, and it's really cool. And the attention to detail is the article. It's on Gizmodo, but the attention to detail on this thing, and it's got a little video that goes through all the little nooks and crannies of it. I won't spoil it for you, but it's something to check out if you're 
a Lego Batman or a geek fan. It's not just the cave itself, but it's also the manor on top yes. of it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Talk about some time investment. I don't, even know how you, I don't even know how you create. I think they have Lego creators that you can like. Possible. Do, I don't know. Do blueprint <clears throat> plans. The, the, the time, though. The time. Oh, my God. Uh, and then lastly, HBO orders first Game of Thrones prequel pilot reported by The Hollywood Reporter. So they're going back to the origins of the White Walkers, it's my understanding, and some of the origins of or some of the things that they allude to in the present books and series on HBO, and they're going backwards. So that hmm. should be interesting. Interesting. Oh, yes. we do have one from a listener. We have Carlin of the Hill People um, pointed out Quest, the role-playing adventure game for everyone. He's got a little Kickstarter there. It ends on June 29th. This show drops on what? 11, 12, June 13th, if I'm recalling correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So by the time you see this, it'll still be going for a couple more days. But, yeah, they're uh, they're funded. They have a little over 88000 of the $65,000 goal. I took a look at this when he put when he put it out there. It looked kind of cool. So, yeah, take a look at it. See what you think. As always, you know, kickstart at your own risk. But I think uh, some of these are kind of cool looking. And if nothing else, it's interesting to see what other creative people are putting together. So, very cool. Thank you, Carlin. So, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, we've been talking about monsters and um, just different things and kind of style of play, even if we go back to um, my feelings episode. I want to talk about running away versus surrender. Because we've talked about this before, the whole balance versus imbalance, and I felt that it was a good kind of a segue out of monsters and such. Um, what are the benefits, so-and-so? How do you, you know, how do you run away? It's not always as easily as just go um, and surrender and just kind of the impacts and stuff in your game and so on. So we'll, uh, we'll dig into that next time, see where it leads us. Excellent. All right. Well, that's been this episode of Gaming and BS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS is brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Mark CMG Clover, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert, and Joe Swick. Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Laura Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G., J.V., John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Gleyman, Sky. Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeens, Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Short, Stephen Dragonspawn, Aon Agus, Roll for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Kevin Lovecraft, Mike, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bontz, and Palladian. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.